You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on Welcome the phone. Welcome in, everybody. Episode yeah. of the podcast. Oh, the Anthro Sports Podcast. It is Monday, February 21st, 2022, people. And boy, oh boy, do I have a great episode of the Aerator Sports Podcast. It's wild because on Friday, it felt like there was nothing to talk about. Today, we have too much to talk about. We are going to open with college football. That's right. You thought we were done with college football? No, 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 no. We find out on Friday, the college football playoff will not expand. And I kind of have some interesting thoughts on it. Um, I, I'm not anti-expansion, but I don't think it's going to solve college football's play, college football's problems the way that most others in the media do, so we'll talk about that. I will tell you what I actually do think is good that's going on in college basketball, which is an important conversation, and then from there we'll get into a little college hoops. Uh, yeah, we all saw what happened with Juwan Howard, we'll talk about that. We all saw Auburn lose to Florida, we'll talk about that, and then we'll hit on some other odds and ends from the weekend, but when I tell you that we have a loaded show. My, oh my, oh my, do we have a loaded episode of the Aerator Sports Podcast for you today. But with that said, we got to get to the topic of the day and the long, never-ending conversation about the college football playoff expansion uh, appears to have hit a little bit of a roadblock over the last couple days. And so what I call this what I call this topic, it's almost the Ross and Rachel story of college sports, right? So for people of a certain age, there was a show called Friends back in the day. If you don't know about it, Google it. It was great. Jennifer Aniston, uh, Ross Schwimmer, all those guys. Jo- Joey. Joey was crazy. Chandler was crazy. But one of the prevailing storylines, the prevailing storyline of the entire show was Ross and Rachel. Jennifer Aniston, David Schwimmer. Are they going to get together? Are they not going to get together? What's going to happen? When's it going to happen? How's it going to happen? How are they going to get together? I bring it up because the college football playoff is essentially that. Basically, since the first year the college football playoff came into existence in 2014, and we had a four-team playoff that left out TCU and Baylor as co-Big 12 champs, everybody's basically been clamoring for college football playoff expansion, and really, like, the last five or six years, it's just turned into an inevitability of not if it'll happen, but when, and I do think it will happen eventually, but on Friday, we got some resolution and some timeline on why and when and will it happen. Well, it ain't going to happen over the next four years because this working group, this group of people that has been kind of in charge of trying to figure out if this thing will expand, they finally met last week. They cannot come to a resolution on what a 12-team college football playoff would look like. And so we found out that through the end of this existing TV contract, we will not get college football playoff expansion, meaning the earliest it could happen is 2026. Uh, That is really not all that far down the road, but when you think about it, it still means that we have four more years of the current college football playoff of simply four teams. And so when I think about this college football playoff conversation, I do think there's two really important conversations to have. One, why did it happen this way? And then two, uh, what does it mean for college football as a whole? Because again, I don't think that people are covering it the correct way. And I actually have a little bit of a different opinion than most. Surprise, surprise, I've thought about it in a unique and interesting way, I hope. Uh, But really quickly, I don't want to spend too much time on it. But why, why are we not getting college football playoff expansion? And I think there's one easy answer. 
all these conference commissioners, they're all going to sit there and say, oh, it's we couldn't decide on how to use bowl games, and we got to keep the Rose Bowl in this time slot, and with this, that... That's not why we don't have a college football playoff expansion uh, idea on the, the table for sooner than 2026. Here is why we are not getting college football playoff expansion before 2026. These guys and girls can argue, debate, say it's not why. There's one reason. It's because Oklahoma and Texas left for the SEC. And you can argue, you can debate, you can fight with me. I'm sorry, you're wrong, I'm right on this one. I get a lot of stuff wrong. Where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. But on this one, I'm right. And all you have to do, all you got to do is use Google and go back about eight months. Because about eight months ago, there was a working group of four people. This was back in probably June of last year, May of last year. A working group of four people. Greg Sankey, SEC Commissioner. Bob Bowlesby, Big 12 Commissioner. Craig Thompson, Mountain West Commissioner. And I believe Jack Swarbrick, the Notre Dame uh, Athletic Director, were the four people on this committee. And at that point, they went through all these different proposals. But I forget what it was, like 48 proposals or something like that. And at that time, the belief was uh, we're really close. We might not be on the one-yard line to use football parlance, but we're in the red zone. We're driving to score. We're driving to pound this one in. We're Alabama. They're New Mexico State. We are going to score. We are going to get this 12-team playoff done. Then what happened? Well, after that working group that included the SEC commissioner and the Big 12 commissioner, uh, a few months later... We're all at SEC Media Days. I wasn't there, but I was following online, and boom, the bombshell drops. Houston Chronicle, Brent Zwenerman, I believe was his name, first to report that Oklahoma and Texas are pursuing the SEC or vice versa, and that this is an inevitability. And so while, it had a, while that decision had a million ripple, you know, trickle-down ripple effects, the single biggest one as it pertains to this show was it means that we ain't getting a college football playoff expansion, and I believe it is a direct reflection of what happened that day when Oklahoma and Texas officially word leaked that they were leaving the Big 12 and that they would ultimately end up in the SEC. The reason it has to do with college football playoff expansion is two reasons. First of all, um, I, you know, and I think even to, to backtrack, the context matters there, is that, as I said, originally, talking college football playoff expansion, it was a four-person working committee. It included the SEC commissioner. It included the Big 12 commissioner. And so when we find out that Texas and Oklahoma are leaving the Big 12, I think all of us kind of took a step back and said, whoa, these two guys were working hand-in-hand hand to get us a 12-team college football playoff, and Greg Sankey, as he's working with Bob Bowlesby, is concurrently stabbing him in the back to steal the two best schools from his conference, ultimately the only two schools that matter with Oklahoma and Texas. And so I think when that happened, it made everybody in college athletics take a step back, everybody kind of look over their shoulder, and everybody kind of sit there and say, wait a second now. We got to take a step back. We got to take a deep breath. And oh, by the way, why was Greg Sankey pushing so hard to get this college football playoff through? Oh, I know. It's because he now has probably like of the 10 biggest brands in college football. He's got like six or seven of them in the SEC. He's got Bama. He's got Georgia. He's got Florida. He's got LSU. He's got Tennessee. Oh, by the way, Texas A&M. Oh, by the way, now he has Texas and Oklahoma too. And so when that happened, all of a sudden, I think everybody took a step back, and at that point, that is when all of the other conference commissioners came into the mix. That's when Kevin Warren from the Big, Big Ten came in. That's when Jim Phillips from the ACC came in. That's when the new Pac-12 commissioner, George Klyakov, or however you say his name, came in uh, to, to the conversation. They were like, wait a second now. We can talk about a college football playoff expansion, but we should probably be in the room because Greg Sankey, uh, you stab this guy in the back. We got to make sure you're not stabbing us as well. And so then once all these guys and girls get into the room, you start to realize, wait a second now, who can I trust? Who can I not trust? We know about that Big Ten ACC Pac-12 alliance. But then you got these other conference commissioners that are all kind of looking at each other. It wasn't just Greg Sankey that stabbed Bob Bowlesby in the back. It was the Big 12 stabbing the AAC in the back, stealing some of their teams, Houston, UCF, uh, Cincinnati. It's the, the AAC stealing from other conferences. And so that to me is the ultimate reason why we are here where there is no college football playoff. Now, we were close. There was 11 votes, and you needed unanimous decision on how many teams, what it looked like, and we got eight out of 11. So we were pretty close, but we still weren't there. And I think it all goes back to that day where Texas and Oklahoma announced they are leaving and ultimately end up in the SEC. If that never happens, I believe that today we have a 12-team college football playoff. 
And so that's the who, what, when, where, why of everything that has happened over the last couple days. And I, I do think it's important for me to just kind of contextualize that for you guys and girls, let you know what happened, why it happened, and what it means going forward. But now I think it's, more, it's time to get to the more interesting element of this, the more interesting part of this conversation, which is this. Now that we know that college football playoff expansion is not coming for another four years, what does it mean for college football? And what are the either positives or I think most people would say certainly the negatives of having no college football playoff expansion? And Torres, what, do you, what does it mean to you? And what I would say to me, what I would say that it means is this. I am not nearly as upset about no college football playoff expansion because I don't believe that college football playoff expansion is this be-all, end-all, solve-all of college football's problems that everybody makes it out to be. Go back to Friday. You can find all the articles from all the same typical media members. Oh my God, college football. They had a chance to save everything and instead they didn't. Instead, they ruined everything. They had a chance. They keep getting in their own way. College football, it could have solved world hunger and it could have done that. Stop, okay? College football, expanding the college, expanding the college football playoff is not like, like, just let me backtrack. Like I said, I don't believe that expanding the college football playoff is going to be this thing that fixes college football in the way that people think. So let me explain why. And there's really, there's three reasons that I believe that when most people talk about college football playoff expansion, okay, when most people talk about college football playoff expansion, they say that it solves three big problems in college football right now. One, it's the player opt-outs. All the good players, if they're not in the playoff, they don't play. Two, it also will allow more teams to make the postseason, which gives us one more meaningful postseason games. But then two, it changes an entire program, right? A program that instead of going to the Sugar Bowl, they're now going to the college. They could call themselves a college football playoff team, and that is huge for the development and growth of a program. That's number two. And then three... It's going to help recruiting so that in theory, you can go from being the 10 seed one year to the seven seed the next year to maybe three years down the road. You can actually be a team that's good enough to win the college football playoff. And what I would say is that while all three of those things sound great, that while if we expand the playoff, that's what in theory could happen. I don't believe that the college football playoff expansion really does much to help any of those things. And I think in some ways it's going to hurt things more than people realize. So first of all, the, play, the opt-out stuff, I'll try to be quick because I've done this rant a million times before. I think player opt-outs are the most overrated, over-talked about conversation in college sports. Now look, do I wish that all of these guys played in all of these bowl games? I do. I would have loved to see Kenny Pickett and Kenneth Walker quarterback for Pitt, running back for Michigan State in the Peach Bowl. I would have loved to see Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, wide receivers for Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. And I get that in a perfect world, all of these guys would complete their season. I also don't blame any of them for not playing. But what I would also say is people talk about this as if this is this terrible, awful thing that needs to be fixed again. We need to fix. These are the top three things that need to be fixed in the world right now. We need to solve world hunger. We need to solve global warming, and we need to make sure that players don't opt out of bowl games. And what I can tell you is, while some people on social media certainly act like that, what, the, what I would also say is that the numbers reflect that you guys and girls do not care about opt-outs nearly as much as people on social media or people in general claim they do. And you know how I know? I just got the facts to back it up. Forget my opinion on this. Let's just look at the facts. Let's go back to this past bowl season, okay? Let's go back back to this past bowl season. You know what the number one rated game in college football was for the entire season, the entire 2021 season that obviously bled into early 2022 in January? Probably not surprising. It was the Alabama-Georgia National Championship game. 22-plus million people watched that game. You know what was the number two highest rated game in college football in the 2021 season? Well, and obviously, I mean, it, it must have been Georgia-Michigan, right? College football playoff in Miami. Harbaugh and the khakis versus Kirby and the visor. Nope. Well, it must have been Alabama-Cincinnati. I mean, Alabama-Cincinnati. David versus Goliath. Fickle versus Saban. Could David beat Goliath? No, it wasn't that. The number two highest rated game in college football this season was the Rose Bowl featuring Ohio State and Utah 
what you guys and girls or what at least people in the media call a meaningless bowl game. Well, it wasn't meaningless to the 14 plus million people that watched the game. I'll tell you this right now. We're going to have NBA finals here in a couple months. Adam Silver would cry tears of joy if the same number of people watched his NBA finals that watched the quote unquote meaningless Rose Bowl. But oh, it's the Rose Bowl. It was New Year's Day. Everybody watches the Rose Bowl. Well, how about the Peach Bowl? Peach Bowl is maybe the best example yet of, well, I mean, (laughs) nobody's watching these games without all these great players. Really? Because the Peach Bowl included arguably the best quarterback in college football, Kenny Pickett, might be the first quarterback off the board in the NFL draft. He opts out. The Doak Walker winner is the best running back, Kenneth Walker. He opts out. Well, nobody watched that game. And while I will readily admit, yeah, I wish those two guys played. It would have been awesome. Um, 7.6 million people watched the Peach Bowl. 7.6 million people watched the Peach Bowl, a number that was up 20 plus percent from last year during COVID in 2020. So the idea that you guys and girls care that much about opt-outs, it's just simply not true. And this idea that everything has to be for a championship and have meaning, can we stop with that? Like that, that's another rant outside of the college football playoff, but can we stop pretending like everything has to have this incredible meaning and everything has to be for, did you watch the dunk contest on, on, Saturday night? Did you watch the three-point? That's a meaningless exhibition. There is no championships, you know, awarded. At the end of the day, yeah, you get an ugly, goofy trophy that nobody cares about. Nobody's going to remember in five years that the who won, that Obi Toppin won the slam dunk competition. But the bottom line is, everybody tells me that it, you can't have these meaningless bowl games. Why not? We have a meaningless slam dunk contest. We have a meaningless home run derby. We have a meaningless Pro Bowl. We have a meaningless MLB All-Star game. We have a meaningless NBA All-Star game. So why can't college football have a few exhibitions? And if kids don't want to play, don't play. But you guys aren't not watching because of it. So does does fix does, does expanding the college football playoff really fix op, it fixes opt-outs? But does anybody really care? I don't think that they care. Oh, by the way, people say, oh, it's, it doesn't matter. It's meaningless. Uh, there's an entire fake sport called professional wrestling, and tens of millions of you buy pay-per-view WrestleMania 37 or whatever. Like, stop with the, well, it's, it's ruining college football. It's not ruining college football at all. Nobody is upset that Kenny Pickett did not play in the Peach Bowl. I wish he had played, but he didn't. The second thing, and I think this is really genuinely important, I think there's this idea that if we have an expanded playoff, it means that many more meaningful postseason games, that much more meaning to, one, the end of the regular season, but then the the postseason as well. All of a sudden, we go from four teams that, quote-unquote, have really something to play for as opposed to 12 that have something to play for. And what I would say is, I don't buy that either. Let's just take an example. Let's just take and as a matter of fact, not only do I not buy that like we have to have more teams that play more meaningful postseason games. I actually think in some ways it can have the reverse effect that a lot of people think, okay? So let's take an example from this year. Let's take Ole Miss who by any tangible measurement, I think we can all agree had one of the most successful seasons in school history. If people don't remember, Ole Miss, uh, they, they, they took care of pretty much everybody. They lost to Alabama. They lost to Auburn. They beat Texas A&M. Uh, they were awesome under Lane Kiffin. They, they win the Egg Bowl. First regular season in school history where they have 10 wins, and they go to the Sugar Bowl. And to a segment of the – well, it's disappointing, and imagine if they had gotten in the playoff. Well, let's imagine that they, that they got into an expanded 12-team college football playoff. Okay, let's, let's imagine that instead of Ole Miss going to the Sugar Bowl, instead of going to New Orleans, they instead got into a 12-team college football playoff. At the way the bracket would have fallen, Ole Miss was the number eight ranked team in college football, which means that they would have hosted Oklahoma State in round one. Let's say they beat them. Then let's say round two, the bracket plays out, and they have to play Alabama. And let's say they get absolutely destroyed by Alabama because they got absolutely destroyed by Alabama in the regular season. And so I sit here and say everybody thinks, oh, everyone will just be happy that they made the playoff. And like that's the argument to expand the playoff. Well, it's going to fix everything because there's more meaningful there's more meaningful postseason games and all these teams can say, uh, we were a playoff team even if we didn't win it. That's not how college football fans think. College football fans don't think like that. What college football fan do do you know that's sitting there saying, well, we're just happy to be there. Give us the participation trophy. We finished number 11. That's not how college football fans think. 
And as a matter of fact, I think expanding the playoff, and it's going to happen. So this isn't like don't expand the playoff because it's going to happen. But I don't think it's going to have the effect that a lot of people think. I think a lot of people think a school like Ole Miss, well, they'll just be so thrilled they got into the playoff. No, they won't. They'll be furious. And think about an Ole Miss fan, how they feel about their team and their program today versus how they would feel if there was a playoff. Right now, think about how an Ole Miss fan feels after this past season under the current system. Under the current system, this is how an Ole Miss fan feels. 10-win regular season, absolutely incredible. Loved every second of it. Then we get to go to New Orleans for the Sugar Bowl. And yeah, some of you call it meaningless, but some of y'all went to New Orleans and I bet had two or three great days in New Orleans, had a blast on Bourbon Street, drinking hurricanes, whatever. You go, you lose that bowl game, but we all know there was injuries, there was this, there was that. And I think most Ole Miss fans kind of feel good coming out of this past 2021 season of like, damn, 10-win regular season, Sugar Bowl, that was awesome. Now let's change it to what it looks like under a playoff system. Same 10-win season, we're thrilled. Then you get to host a playoff game, you're thrilled. You beat Oklahoma State, great. Then you get destroyed by Alabama in the second round. And all of a sudden you're like, holy crap, we just lost by 30 in the playoff, and we are like miles, 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 miles from where we need to be to actually beat Alabama. I actually, I'll, I'll shout out, I don't want to give the guy's name out because I don't know if he, he wants me to share it, but I actually made this argument on Fox Sports Radio on Saturday night. I had a Kentucky fan reach out to me. He said, dude, I'll be honest, I heard your segment, and as a Kentucky fan, I'll tell you, I would much rather have the trajectory that we had the last four, five, six years, uh, finished with nine or ten regular season wins, or I, I forget if they've, whatever, eight, nine regular season wins, go to Florida for four or five days, beat an ACC, Big Ten, Big 12 school, whatever, that's going to help us with recruiting more than going to the playoff and getting destroyed as the 11 seed by Georgia or whoever in that specific year. And I don't think it's just that one fan. I think it's exactly what I said. I think Ole Miss fans feel better about where their program is today than if they made the the college football playoff as the nine seed or the eight seed and got destroyed. I think it's the same for Michigan State. Incredible, unforgettable regular season. You go to the Peach Bowl, now you have a Peach Bowl win on your resume. That feels a lot better than winning a college football playoff game against a team from the AAC or whatever and then getting destroyed by Georgia. It's the same with Baylor. They're the so like this idea that well everyone's just going to be happy to make the no they're not. That's not how college football fans think. And I'll take it a step further. You know who else doesn't think like that? Recruits don't think like that. So I think there's this notion that oh my goodness. Well, I mean if 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 a school like Ole Miss, well if, I mean if they can sell that they're a playoff team, all of a sudden recruiting changes for them forever. No, it doesn't. First of all, let, let's take out the NIL component of this and that's another conversation for another day and all the allegations of what happened and what recruiting could look like over the last four or five years at the end of the day recruits want to go to places for two reasons they want to go to a place that is going to get them ready for the NFL and where they can win at the highest level in college and yes there's always going to be players that want to do something different that want to be unique that want to be Travis Hunter the kid that decided to go to Jackson State over Florida State credit to him by the way he committed to Florida State over Alabama and Clemson and all those schools cuz he wanted to do something different in the first place but for the most part people want to go to places where they're going to be developed where they're going to be ready for the NFL and where they're going to win at the highest level and so i don't believe that Ole Miss being the 8 seed and getting i don't think there's going to be kids sitting at home saying well Ole Miss lost by 40 but that's where i want to go to school like like that's not going to happen that's not going to happen first of all most of the recruiting class is already signed by the time these bowl games before this expanded college football playoff would happen so that's one um, and then two, like I don't think there's going to be all these five stars sitting at home saying, well, I could go to Alabama and play for the greatest coach of all time, but let me go play for the school that lost by 40 to Bama. That's not going to happen. And so to me, I just sit back and I'm just like, I, I'm not, let, let, me, let me even backtrack. I'm not like anti-expansion because one thing about this show that you guys and girls know, I don't fight what's inevitable. Like, there was a time where I, I hated the idea of a one-time transfer rule. Then at some point, it's like, okay, well, this is going to happen. I can either keep complaining about it, or I can adjust my coverage to cover the one-time transfer rule accordingly. Same with NIL. Wasn't a fan, had some concerns, a lot of the concerns that are kind of popping up right now. But at some point, I was like, it's here. We got to deal with it. We got to cover it. It's going to change how we do things. 
And it's the same with the college football playoff. At some point, it's going to expand because there's way too much money involved. But, like, I, I just don't think, I just can't sit here and say that it is this be-all, end-all, solve-all that everybody wants to make it think. I don't think it significantly alters how many people watch because of opt-outs because you guys and girls watch these quote-unquote meaningless bowl games anyway. I don't believe that it's going to fundamentally alter how we feel about our program. Oh, my God, I'm so happy I was the 11 seed and got destroyed by Georgia in round one, round two. I don't think it, change, and I don't think it changes recruiting. But I do think what I will say, I do think there is one thing that can actually help both the college football regular season, the college football postseason, and I think it's already happening. This is what I want to do. I'm going to take a quick break because I'm going long, as I always do. When I come back, I'm going to tell you the one thing that is actually going to help college football and the college football playoff that has nothing to do with expansion, and it's already happening now. I'll be right back, party people. All right, everybody, I'm back. Good to be back, good to be back. And if you listen to the first segment, you could tell I'm pretty fired up about college football playoff expansion. Not saying it won't happen. Not saying that I'll stop watching college football if it does happen when it inevitably does happen. I just don't believe that what people think it will solve will actually be solved. And so with that, what I wanted to do was rather than do another six, seven minutes on this particular topic, I want to take a quick break and I want to come back because I do think that all of the problems that everybody says college football has that will be solved with the college football playoff expansion, I actually think are in the process of being solved right now. I think there's something going on behind the scenes of college football that not a lot of people are talking about that is going to have a much bigger impact on the overall product of college football than simply expanding for the sake of expanding the college football playoff. What is going on? It is that there are a ton of schools across the country and administrations across the country that over the last year or two, maybe three, have basically decided enough is enough. We're tired of watching Alabama win everything. We're tired of watching Ohio State win everything. We're tired of Clemson winning everything, Oklahoma winning everything, whatever. And we are finally ready to step up to the plate and do what it takes financially to compete with them. And I'm not talking about weird, shady, back office NIL deals. I'm talking about coaching salaries, coordinator salaries, resources, facilities. And I believe that is what is going to help bring more parity to college football, help create new programs that are capable of competing with the Alabamas, Ohio States, Clemsons, whoever. I think this is a great thing that has gone on in college football, and I think not enough people are talking about it. Instead of whining about expansion, I think we should be appreciating what is kind of quietly going on behind the scenes in college football. And as a little bit of a backstory, I think everybody knows, right? But but listen, college football has always been a sport of have and have nots. By the way, pretty much every sport except for the NFL is have and have nots, right? The New York Yankees always have advantages that the Milwaukee Brewers will never have. Hate to say it, but it's the truth. Uh, even in the NFL, the Dallas Cowboys, it hasn't worked out, but they have advantages that the Minnesota Vikings have, that, that Minnesota Vikings don't have. The Pittsburgh Steelers have advantages that... Um, you know, whoever, the, the Carolina Panthers don't have. Heck, the Los Angeles Rams, even in year two in Los Angeles, have advantages that the St. Louis Rams did not. Sorry, don't think Odell Beckham is coming to play for the Rams if they're in St. Louis. And so I bring it up, college football is a, a, a sport of have and have nots, but I think once the college football playoff era hit, what I do believe is that there were two or three programs that quietly but efficiently basically kind of separated themselves in terms of how they were operating, how they were doing things, and how they were handling things behind the scenes. Obviously, one was Alabama. Success begets success, and when Nick Saban started winning championships, essentially anything that Nick Saban wanted, Nick Saban got. And so it got to a point about three, four, five years ago where all of a sudden you look up, they've got every resource, every facility, every whatever. Now they have this huge group of analysts where you have guys like Steve Sarkeesian, Lane Kiffin, Mike Loxley, whoever, basically deciding rather than coaching in the NFL, rather than coaching as a coordinator in college, rather than sitting out and doing TV, I'm going to go to Alabama, work under Nick Saban, and then revive my career that way. Ohio State, it was kind of the same. 
Urban Meyer, there's a very famous story. I remember reading it about three, four years ago of when he got to Ohio State. First of all, everybody kind of knows he brought that SEC infrastructure, and that's what helped him build kind of a national championship caliber contender in the Big Ten. He was just doing things that nobody else was doing. But I remember a story about three, four years ago in which uh, it was, I forget when, but Urban Meyer was still the head coach at Ohio State. And it was a story about how he was interviewing somebody to run either social media or the graphics department or whatever. And the guy or girl is giving him this huge pitch and he's got a PowerPoint and this and that and the other thing. And Urban Meyer just kind of cuts him off. And he says, tell me how this is going to make us the best in college football in this specific category and tell us how this is going to help us win national championships. Because that's all I care about. I don't care what it costs. I don't care how much we have to pay. If it is going to help us win national championships, if it's going to help us separate from the pack, then go ahead and sign me up. I don't care what the cost is. By the way, Kirby Smart, very similar story at Georgia. He comes in and he's got this blueprint of, you know, this is how we did this at Bama. This is how we did that. I need this much money for this, this much money for that. The AD basically just sat there and said, look, if this, I don't mind spending the money. Just show me how it's going to help win national championships. And so that's why you've seen over the last three, four, five years, there's really four or five programs that are willing to financially do things that others aren't Others aren't willing to do. Alabama's one. Ohio State is one. Georgia has become one in recent years. Clemson is one the way that they pay their coordinators and staff to make sure that they have stability. Um, you know, I think Oklahoma's one, to their credit, been a very stable program over the last decade or so. And what we've seen is there are a lot of programs that think that they're willing to compete at the highest level, but they're not. And so why I talk about this on this specific day when we're talking about the college football playoff is because I think that everybody thinks, oh, college, if we just expand the playoff, it's going to solve everything. No, it's not. But what is quietly happening behind the scenes at schools like USC, like Miami, like Texas A&M, I think that is what is going to allow us to have more parity. I think that is what is going to allow us to ultimately get to a point where it's more than two or three teams that can win a title in any given year. Let me give you a quick example. I've lived in Los Angeles since 2012. I currently live in Los Angeles for people who do not know. Uh, 2012 is ironic because it was the year, if you remember, USC was coming off probation. They go 10-2. and They win the Pac-12 South, but they're not eligible for postseason. They bring back everybody the following year, Matt Barkley, Marquise Lee, Robert Woods, and I was living in Los Angeles at the time. That was the first year that I moved to Los Angeles was the fall of 2012, and USC actually opened the season number one in the country. USC falls apart, Lane Kiffin gets fired, Steve Sarkeesian comes in, Steve Sarkeesian wins nine games in year one. And I remember being at Pac-12 Media Day the year after Steve Sarkeesian's first year where they go nine and four overall. And I remember one reporter, I actually know which reporter it was, I'm not going to name, I'm not going to put him on blast, but, but he goes to Steve Sarkis, he goes, Coach, Coach Sark, does this, does this feel like the USC of the old days with Reggie Bush and Matt Leiner? And Sark looked at him like, no, no, it, it, it's not at all. But that has always been the mindset at USC of like, we're the snap of a finger away from being the Pete Carroll USC of the early 2000s. And that's simply not the case. And even to go back to the Pete Carroll days, um, you know, it was kind of well known in college football circles that they weren't spending the way that SEC schools were, were spending. They weren't spending the way that big time Big Ten schools were spending. And if anything, it was kind of like a badge of honor. It was like, <laughs> we got crappy facilities, but we're US freaking C and we're going to rock and roll. Well, that doesn't work in 2021, 2022, 2020, 2023, this era of college football. And so while everybody's talking about expanding college football playoff, you know what's actually going to get people on the West Coast interested in college football? Having a really awesome team that can compete at the highest level. And I think USC is finally ready to do that. USC went out this offseason and basically said, look, we don't care what it takes. If we can get Lincoln freaking Riley, we'll pay him. 9 million, 10 million, 11 million, whatever his salary is. We don't know because it is a contract that is, uh, you know, USC is a private school. They don't have to divulge numbers. But USC was basically like, look, we're tired of paying a, 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 a C-plus coach C-plus money or a C-plus coach B money or a B-minus coach B money. Let's go pay an A-plus coach A money. And so it cracks me up because everyone thinks, oh, if we just expand the playoff, people on the, West, the people on the West Coast, they need a reason to watch the college football playoff. 
You think they're going to watch the college football playoff to see a, a, a nine and three Oregon team that has no shot of winning the national championship? No. What's going to get people interested is to see a USC team operating the way that USC can at the highest level. And I think they're finally taking steps towards doing that. I don't think they're there yet. I think having Caleb Williams is a great story, but I still think there are two or three recruiting classes along the offensive and defensive lines from being able to go and compete with Alabama, Ohio State, whoever, if they're ever able to at all, and we'll see if Lincoln Riley can. But they're finally making the financial commitment. That, to me, is so much more important than expanding the playoff for the sake of expanding the playoff. By the way, you know where else it's the same? The University of Miami. It's all about the U. What do we always hear? It's a cane thing you wouldn't understand. Well, what I do understand is you guys stink and you guys weren't willing to commit financially the way that everybody else was. And by the way, Miami's a weird deal. Miami is a small private school in Miami in a, obviously a major city. I don't think people realize they only have like eight, 9,000 undergrads. And so like part of it was financially, they, they, they simply couldn't do that. And it was funny because even if you went back and you kind of read some reports from, um, you know, from the, the time that they went ahead and uh, were thinking about getting rid of Manny Diaz. Like, even Bruce Feldman, who's a Miami alum, was like, look, I don't think they're going to get rid of Manny Diaz. This was probably in September, October, because that's not how Miami, Miami operates. They don't have the financial wherewithal to just do that, and Miami was another one. I know a bunch of Miami for, former Miami players, and they took pride in having the grimiest, lousiest facilities. We're going to use um, you know, weights that look like they came straight from wherever, a high school f weight facility, and we're still going to outlift you. We're still going to beat your brains in on the field. We're still going to do whatever, and that was the Miami pride. Well, guess what? It's 2022. And Clemson has uh, probably a $200 million uh, uh, facility, uh, probably a $50 million weight room. You can't do that anymore. And so for college football, for the sake of the health of college football, it's much better to have Miami did what they do, this, do what they did, I should say, this past offseason of basically saying, look, enough. Kirk Herbstreit called us out on national TV. We're not dealing with this crap anymore. Who's the best coach that we can get? What do we have to pay him? What do we have to pay the last guy to get out of here? Let's make moves and make it happen. What do they do? Mario Cristobal, 10-year, $80 million deal. Like, that is absurd. For the University of Miami, a 10-year, $80 million deal, that doesn't get done at Miami, only it got done this offseason. It's been the same the last two, three years at Texas A&M. They got tired of finishing fourth, fifth in the SEC West. So what'd they do? You know, $500 million expansion on Kyle Field. $100 million or seventy-five or whatever it was for Jimbo Fisher. They paid Mike Elko, whatever. Forget what you think you know about the recruiting class. This has been a two or three year build and now we'll see if they're finally ready to do it, right? ready to compete at the highest level, but they look pretty good. Before NIL, before all the rumors about their recruiting class, guess what? They beat Alabama this year. Now it becomes, can they beat them consistently? Can they be a consistent threat to Alabama and the SEC West? I don't know if they can, but they're investing in such a way that it shows that they're willing to do it. By the way, it's not just these schools. Michigan State basically said, whatever you need, Mel Tucker, $9.5 million, that's cool. Increased salary pool, that's cool. No problem, let's get it done. Penn State gave James Franklin, who just went 7-6 and six last year, uh, a massive extension as well. And so I bring it up because, again, I think that everybody has this notion that if we just expand the playoff, it's going to create so much more interest across the country. No, it's not. You know what's going to create interest? Having schools outside of those two, three, four schools that have been in the mix every single year, Alabama, Ohio State, who else? Oklahoma, Clemson, essentially, are the four. Having schools outside of that group be in the mix to make playoffs and potentially win a national championship. How great was the Michigan story last year? And I know Harbaugh, I think he's kind of screwed up and publicly he hasn't handled himself the last few, few weeks very well. But the Michigan story itself was absolutely awesome over the last couple months. Michigan can't get over the hump, can't beat it. Then they do it. Then they win the Big Ten. Then they go to the college football playoff. They don't beat Georgia, but it was still a great story. Now, instead of Michigan, let's get Penn State next year. And instead of Cincinnati, maybe we get USC operating well. And maybe instead of Clemson making it five years in a row, Miami makes them two of them, and we feel a lot differently. And so uh, this, is, this is it for college football. I'm kind of done talking. We've done like 45 minutes on the college football playoff. But to me, 
I think this is the bigger story that nobody's talking about, and it's for two reasons. The way you get people interested is by having teams that are good enough to win it all, okay? Um, you know, uh, whatever, I'm trying to think. Uh, you know, uh, Charlotte isn't more interested in watching the NBA playoffs if we expand the playoffs if the Charlotte Hornets still stink. They want a team that's good enough to win. And I think it's the same thing in college football. And then I think it just helps with recruiting too. I think the fact that Lincoln Riley is now at USC – and every coach in, 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 you know, the Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson coaches can't just go in and poach the best players out of Southern California. Now that Mario Cristobal's at Miami, you can't just go poach the best players out of Miami anymore. Um, I think this, to me, is much more important for the health of college football than simply expanding the playoff. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to take a quick break. Because I've been yelling and screaming about college football for long enough. It's time to get uh, take a break. And I do want to talk a little bit of college hoops. Auburn loses on Saturday. What does it mean? I'm starting to actually get a little bit worried about Auburn. We'll talk about them next. And also, Eric Musselman. I don't think we fully appreciate what Eric Musselman is doing, and I want to talk about that because what he is doing at Arkansas over the last two years uh, might be, frankly, one of the most underrated things in college basketball right now. I'll be right back. All right, everybody. I'm back. Going to be back, going to be back, and I do want to switch gears, and I do want to talk a little bit of college hoops because it's late February, the tournament is coming, March is basically here, we're what, three weeks away from Selection Sunday, which seems absolutely inconceivable to me, um, and we had chaos on Sunday. The biggest game of the weekend, the biggest story of the weekend had nothing to do with a result, it had nothing to do with a win, a loss, or this or that, and it had everything to do with the slap slash punch slash whatever you want to call it heard around the world involving Juwan Howard, the Michigan Wolverines, Greg Gard, the Wisconsin Badgers. And so let's talk a little about it, let's break it down, and let's just kind of discuss what could happen going forward as, as I record here Sunday night, we don't know what is going to happen to Juwan Howard. By the time you guys and girls listen on Monday, you may have an idea of what has happened to Juwan Howard. Is it a lengthy suspension? And I think there are some people, I disagree, which we'll discuss in a minute, that I think that people think Juwan Howard should get fired. And so it's really kind of ironic how all of this went down because I think a lot of you know, I, I watch a lot of college hoops. I try to watch as much as I can. I'm obviously going to talk college hoops on this show. I have to be engaged and informed. And this was the one time that I was not watching live. So I was going in to host Fox Sports Radio on Sunday afternoon. Buddy George Reister, great host, uh, former NFL player. And as the game is going winding down, I said, you know what? I got to take a shower. I got to get out of here. I got to get to studio. So once the game is very clearly out of hand, I go ahead. I hit the showers, uh, prefer literally and figuratively, hit the showers. And I come out, and I have a text from George and our producer. And it says, uh, well, I guess we're talking about Juwan Howard today. And I said, Juwan Howard, what are you talking about? Like, one, we rarely talk college hoops on national radio, <clears throat> especially before March. And two, like, that was a terrible game. Why would we talk about that? And so he sends me the video, and I said, oh, my goodness gracious, what do we have here? So let's talk about what happened. Let me give you guys and girls a little bit of context because I know a lot of you saw it live. I think most of you have most of the facts. But I do think it is kind of worth just kind of reiterating what happened, why it happened, why Juwan Howard threw a slap or a punch or whatever you want to call it, and then um, who's to blame, who's right, who's wrong, who's justified, and what now happens to Juwan Howard. And so as a little bit of background, uh, you know, obviously, again, Michigan and Wisconsin are playing on Sunday. Wisconsin is potentially close, closing in on a Big Ten title, and Michigan is very much struggling this year. Last year, they win the Big Ten regular season. They win the Big Ten. Uh, they don't win the tournament. They win the Big Ten regular season. Um, they make the NCAA tournament, of course. They're a number one seed. They make the Elite Eight, and it's this great story, and I would say overall, I think Juwan Howard, in my interactions with him, has seemed like a very kind of gregarious, nice, friendly guy. Now, it's worth noting he did have a dust-up with Mark Turgeon late last year in the Big Ten tournament, but for the most part, every time that you hear him speak, you can tell how much he loves the kids, how much he loves being a college basketball coach, and he's a guy that I desperately would love to get on this podcast, not because of what happened on Sunday, but because I think for the most part, you know, I've enjoyed kind of seeing him as a college basketball coach. But the game's getting late, and as the game gets late, it's, it's completely out of hand. Wisconsin's up by double digits, we're under a minute to go, and Wisconsin decides to put hit not only their backups in, but we're talking about walk-ons at this point. We're talking about late in the game, guys that don't play, get them there 30 seconds of shine before the game ends. And so as the Wisconsin guys get in, Juwan Howard decides we're still going to keep full court pressing. 
we're still trying to make this game respectable. We're still trying to this. We're still trying to that. Whatever. Ball goes out of bounds. Wisconsin's trying to get the ball past half court. I'm sure as most of you know, in the college game as well as the NBA, you have 10 seconds to get the ball past half court. And if not, it's a turnover. And so when the ball goes out of bounds, what Greg Gard realizes is, wait a second, the way that the rule book is written, we only get 10 seconds to get the ball past half court, but if I call a timeout, I can get a fresh 10 seconds to give us more time to get the ball past half court. Once we get the ball past half court, the game is over. So Wisconsin calls a timeout, recount of groups their, their walk-ons, and Greg Gard even said after the, after the game was over, like, look, these guys aren't on the court. They don't know what's going on, and it was my obligation to make sure that they knew what was going on and to give them those extra few seconds. Well, Jawan Howard was not happy with that timeout, and as the game goes final, this is where the dust-up happens. They are walking towards the layup line, or they're, they're walking towards the handshake line, and thankfully, by the way, since uh, you know all this happened, we've gotten a little bit of video with audio, and you can hear Juwan Howard is not happy as he is walking by Greg Gard. Uh, you hear him say something to the effect of, I won't forget this SH uh, asterisk, asterisk. You can take a guess as to what he said. Uh, the reference to the fact that Greg Gard called a timeout with under 10 seconds left. And so Greg Gard kind of grabs him and says, like, wait a second now. How are you going to blame me? When you're the one that's pressing. But before he can even get that out, uh, Juwan Howard kind of pulls away. As soon as that happens, you can see a bunch of people come in. And then as the two coaches are separated, Juwan Howard takes a swing. And what you can either call it a a punch, you can call it an open-handed slap, whatever it was. But he takes a swing. It hits the the Wisconsin assistant coach, Joe Krabenhoff. And a melee is broken out. And from there, we have kind of all sorts of, you know, from there, it just becomes the crazy thing. And so to me, as I said, I'm glad that I, I did not see this in real time because it allowed me to get all of the facts. It allowed me to kind of process my thoughts and it allowed me to kind of get a clear view of what happened, who's to blame, how much blame should go around, and frankly, what should happen to Juwan Howard. And so in terms of who's to blame, to be clear, I'm not making excuses. Let me even backtrack. I think there's two separate conversations to be had. One, does Juwan Howard have any right to be mad about the fact that Greg Gard called the timeout? And from there, what I will say is definitively this. The answer is a thousand percent no. We've all played college basketball. We haven't all played college basketball, but we've all played basketball. We've all played sports. We all know the unintended, you know, the unwritten rules of sports, right? Um, you know, you don't bunt when you're down when when, when a pitcher's throwing a no hitter just to break up a no hitter. Um, you don't. Uh, if a team is taking a knee, you don't send your defensive lineman uh, full speed ahead when the quarterback is just trying to take out a knee to run the clock. And in basketball, when you put in the walk-ons. That is your. That is the, the winning team sign. The game's over. We're just trying to get our guys reps. Now, Jawan Howard has every right to put on the full court press, but he has zero right to be mad when Greg Gard decides to call a timeout. What I would also say, and to be clear, to be abundantly clear, because I don't want this to be misconstrued. I'm not excusing Jawan Howard here. But what I would also say is this. I don't think that we can give Greg Gard a complete pass either for what happened that led to Juwan Howard swinging at the guy. Not excusing Juwan Howard, not saying it's okay. All I know is this. We can sit up here on our high horse and say there's no excuse, there's no this, there's no that. When somebody puts their hands on you, you are going to react a certain way. Now, you would hope that Juwan Howard wouldn't take a swing. But guys and girls, we've all done it. We've all been in a situation. We've all been wherever. When somebody puts your hands on you, what's the first reaction? You either pull away or you shove them or you this or you that. And that was what was kind of weird about the Juwan Howard situation was that he didn't react right away. And then whatever it was, four, five, six seconds later, that's when he takes the swing. So to me, if you're Juwan Howard, you can't be mad about the full court press and you can't take a swing at the guy either. But I also understand how in a moment when somebody grabs you, I can understand why you'd be frustrated. So to me now, I think the interesting conversation is what happens from here, right? What happens from here? Uh, the, the Big Ten has released a statement. We're aware. We're investigating. Michigan has released a statement. We're going to kind of stand down and see what the Big Ten decides to do. What I would say, and maybe it's unpopular, I believe that Juwan Howard should get a lengthy suspension. I do not believe that Juwan Howard should be fired for this incident. And maybe some of you are disagreeing. Some of you are driving around and some of you are getting mad. 
If that makes me a bad guy because I don't believe that Juwan Howard should get fired, forgive me. First of all, I hate this whole thing of, well, if I put my hands on somebody at my job, I'd be fired. Listen, can we stop with the, well, at my job, it's like this. Every job is a little bit different. Every job has a different set of standards and protocols. And while it's never okay to take a swing at a guy, Juwan Howard's situation is different from yours, okay? So can we stop with the, if I put my hands on somebody uh, at the job, I'd be fired. Yeah, guess what? Every job is different. Uh, you know, a, 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 a preschool teacher can take a nap on the job, I think. I don't know if preschool teachers do. But a preschool teacher can take a nap on the job. Uh, you can't take a nap on the job if you're a, a bus driver, right? Uh, if you're an NFL football coach, you can swear and curse like a sailor. Um, you know, you can't curse and swear like a sailor if you're a preschool teacher or a kindergarten teacher. So every job has different sets of standards and protocols, and I'm not excusing Juwan Howard, but please do not compare it to your job. Beyond that, what I would also say is what I always say in moments like this. I don't believe that somebody should lose their livelihood over one bad moment, one bad situation, one bad circumstance. Now, I know that there was an incident with Maryland last year. You can't say this is the only time that Juwan Howard has been involved in this, but I would hate to see his entire career come to an end because of this coaching college basketball in the same way that I would hate to see somebody's career uh, come to an end because of a, a, a bad one sentence or two sentences that they say during a radio interview or podcast. The same way that I would hate to see somebody's career come to an end for a bad tweet or a bad Facebook post. I don't believe that we should live in a world where we just fire everybody and ruin everybody's, uh, put, put an end to everything every time everybody makes a mistake. And by the way, it isn't just Juwan Howard. I've said this for years. I believe that one, and I don't want to compare apples to apples, and I know these are extreme examples, and I'm not saying one is the same as the other, but I, I, I've talked about it on this show before. Whatever it is, whoever it is, I, I, just, I don't like the idea that somebody should lose a job, lose a livelihood over one tweet, one moment, one this, one that. I believe people should be able to uh, seek forgiveness. I believe people should, deal, should, should have a punishment and accept it. And once that punishment happens, I believe they should be able to move on with their lives. Now, I also believe that each individual employer has a right to do what they deem is best for their employees. And if Michigan determines that they can't keep Juwan Howard, then that's completely on them. But from my perspective, I would hope for a very lengthy suspension, maybe some sort of anger management thing because this isn't his first time, but I don't want to see him lose his job. I don't want to see him lose his livelihood in the same way that I talk about it with all of these other guys and girls that have a bad moment in sports. I've talked about it before, and I'm not comparing one to the other, but Ray Rice, I've said it. We all know what Ray Rice did. I didn't believe that because Ray Rice did what he did, once he went through the legal system, once he took whatever punishment he had, I was fine if an NFL team decided to sign him. Now, they didn't because he was kind of the back end of his career, but I had no problem if Ray Rice, and to be clear, I'm not comparing what Juwan Howard did to what Ray Rice did, but it's the same thing. Michael Vick, I've told this story many times. My mom's a huge animal advocate. She thinks he should be behind bars for the rest of his life. Well, guess what? I disagree. He served his time. He did his, uh, you know, he did, he served his punishment and he should be allowed uh, to, to move on with his life. And again, not comparing Michael Vick to Juwan Howard, but what I am saying is I believe that Juwan Howard should have his moment uh, and serve his punishment and be allowed to continue. So in terms of the punishment, I don't believe he should be fired, but I do think a very lengthy suspension should be coming. First of all, five games left in the regular season. Obviously, from there, the Big Ten tournament, and then from there, any type of postseason. If the Big Ten said, from now until the end of the season, you cannot coach, I would be okay with it. Because first of all, to me, it's almost like uh, when, a, when a team takes a self-imposed tournament ban in a year where they're not going to make a tournament, go ahead and go over the top, say you're done for the season. That allows him to step back, take time to reflect, and it really doesn't hurt a team that's not going to make the NCAA tournament anyway, but it's very clear that you cannot act like this, and there has to be a punishment that uh, you know fits the, act, fits the action that Juwan Howard took part in. So to me, if I was the Big Ten, I'd say you're done for the season. You can't coach the, the, the five remaining regular season games, you can't coach in the Big Ten tournament, and you can't coach in the postseason. If you want to just limit it to five games plus the Big Ten tournament, and if Michigan makes a postseason, that's fine, but to me... That's where I'm at. Give him a lengthy punishment. If you deem so, go ahead and say, you know what? You also have to do some sort of um, you know, anger management or whatever. And by the way, maybe, maybe I'm 100% wrong. 
As I said a minute ago, if Michigan as a university deems that they need to punish Juwan Howard further, then that's fine by me. But as I said right now, I believe that Juwan Howard should be punished appropriately. I do not believe he should be fired. But it is a weird, bizarre, uh, crazy story that took over college basketball. And as I've, I've just said a couple times, I believe by the time you listen to this podcast, there's a good chance we know what happened with Juwan Howard. All right, let's start to wrap the show. A couple other results from the weekend that was in college basketball. Uh, you know, outside of coaches actually taking swings at each other. And let's, uh, let, let, let's start in the SEC. Because in terms of the actual results on the court that mattered on Saturday and on Sunday, I don't think there was a single bigger one than what happened in Gainesville, Florida, where the Auburn Tigers walked in as the number two team in the country, only team in college basketball that had not lost a game in regulation this year. They were 24-2 and coming in, both losses in overtime or double overtime to UConn and Arkansas. And then on Saturday, they take the L, final score 63-62 in Gainesville. And so I want to talk about Auburn because I don't think their season's over. I don't think it's time to freak out. But what I would say is I do I do think we're starting to get to the point a little bit with Auburn where it is time it is fair to kind of ask, like, okay, are we sure this team is as good as we thought they were? Are there reasons to be concerned? All that good stuff. So let's talk about that. Let's talk a little bit about Florida. My boy Mike White doing his amazing end of year thing to save his job. But before we even get to it, let me let me, let me give me two minutes to do a quick rant on something else. And if you're a longtime listener to this show, you've heard me do this rant before. But every year in college basketball, uh, college basketball puts out about two or three weeks before the end of the regular season, and that's where we are, a basically a mock bracket uh, similar to what college football does, right? College football, every Tuesday for about three or four weeks before the conference championship games, they put out the mock Final Four. They give out their top 25. It becomes a big made-for-TV production. We all love it. And about three or four years ago, college basketball decided to do the same thing. Two, three weeks before the end of the regular season, college basketball decides, you know what? Let's do that too. Let's put out a mock bracket. We'll do the top four seed lines and we'll rank the top 16 teams. If the NCAA tournament started today, this is what it would look like. And so Saturday was the day that they did that. But what drives me crazy about this process, and I have talked about it on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast before. I know I did a rant last year. What drives me crazy is the NCAA selection committee decides to put out the bracket on Saturday morning before a full weekend of college basketball. And so rather than putting it out, I don't know, on a Sunday, because one, you actually do it on Sunday after a full weekend of basketball, or two, put it out on Sunday so that it it actually creates a talking point for shows like this, for Field of 68, for ESPN, for Fox Sports, for whoever covers college basketball. They put it out on Saturday, and it becomes completely useless by Sunday because a bunch of games happen that shake up the results. And so I bring it up because there was no bigger result that would have shook up that bracket if they had just waited till Sunday than what happened on Saturday at Gainesville where Auburn lost to Florida. And so first of all, in terms of, of the game itself, a couple things. One, if you're an Auburn fan, you don't have to freak out, right? And, and, and I think there's two kind of camps at Auburn. One is saying, okay, it's starting to get a little sketchy here. Should I be worried? And I think there's another camp that sits there and says, you know what? We're 24-3. and three. We control our own destiny for the SEC regular season title. We control our own destiny for a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Everything is ahead of us. And by the way, I would say a lot of people feel that way, right? We, we just started a Torres on Auburn account. If you're an Auburn fan, go ahead and follow that. And the kid who runs it, his name is Matthew, great young Auburn student that's been doing an awesome job with that account. That's exactly his point. He's like, we're Auburn basketball. We're 24-3. and three. We're in line to get a number one seed. What are we complaining about? And I certainly don't think a loss at Florida is overly concerning if you're Auburn, if you know the history of the, the, the if you want to call it a rivalry or a matchup between the two schools. Auburn, and this is incredible, has not won at Florida since 1996, okay? Bruce Pearl, since he got to Auburn, he's been to a Final Four. He's won an SEC regular season title. He's won an SEC tournament title. He has never won at Florida. So that shows you how weird this rivalry is. But I also think you do have to start being concerned with Auburn a little bit if you are just a bigger, broader college basketball fan. I tend to lean with, no, you don't have to worry about this game. It's like I said last week when Kentucky lost to Tennessee or when Auburn lost to Arkansas or when uh, Providence lost to Villanova. Sometimes good teams just lose in February in conference play. But what I would also say is I do think there are some disturbing trends 
if you're Auburn and if you're a team that has real aspirations to win the NCAA tournament. First of all, like we now have a track record that's about a month, month and a half long. Auburn really isn't that good. At least they haven't been of late away from Auburn Arena. Here is what Auburn has done in their last four road games since they became the number one ranked team in the country. They beat Missouri by one point, 55-54. Then they picked up two home wins. Then they went to Georgia and won by two. Then they lost at Arkansas. Then they had two home wins. And then they lost to Florida. So in their last four road games, they are 2-2 two and two overall. And then on top of that, their two wins are by a combined one point and two points. So they're by a combined three points, one, one win by one point, one, point, one win by two points against the two worst teams in the SEC. So we now have a track record that they're really struggling away from home. And what I think is becoming increasingly concerning if you're an Auburn fan is that even at home, the Tigers haven't played their best basketball. Yes, they beat Vanderbilt 94-80 to the other day. Um, but if you watch that game, first of all, Vanderbilt, another team that's not very good. But if you watch that game, Auburn fell down 11-0 and 14-3 in that game, okay? Um, so even at home, they have not been playing as well. And it just feels like we are now in about, what, a, a, a five-week, three-week, four-week, whatever uh, sample where this team is not playing its best basketball. Now, part of it I know was injuries. Part of it I understand. It's, it's, it's not easy having the target on your back. And, but what I would also say is I do think they appear to be hitting a wall. And this is something that happens sometimes in college basketball, right? I think back to a few years ago. A weird example to use when it comes to Auburn because Bruce Pearl coached here too. But do you remember about two, two and a half, three years ago? Uh, Tennessee, the year they had Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams. One year they win the SEC regular season title. They come back the following year, the entire team completely intact for the most part. Grant Williams, Jordan Bone, uh, uh, Admiral Schofield, Lamonte Turner, all those guys. And there was about a five, six-week stretch where they looked very clearly like the definitive number one team in the country. I remember we had Jimmy Dykes on this show. We talked about it, and he was like, dude, I haven't seen a team like them all year long. And then the season went on, and then as the season wore down, they just felt like they lost some of that mojo. They weren't playing quite as well late in the season. That's kind of how I feel about Auburn. I also think it's fair to wonder, you know, the guards, and this is not a criticism of them, but they seem to be slowing down a little bit. Um, you know, you go back to the Florida game on Saturday. You go back to that Florida game. Uh, Zeb Jasper, their point guard, just returned from injury, so it's hard to really gauge him. But Katie Johnson, who has been so great all year, averaging 13 points per game, he has not been himself as of late. Finished with 12 points, but didn't shoot uh, particularly well from the field. Uh, seven points the game before, three points in the loss to Arkansas. He is not playing, I don't believe, his best basketball. Wendell Green, uh, the guard who transferred in from Eastern Kentucky, I don't believe is playing his best basketball, averaging 12.5 points per game this season, but only five against Florida. So listen, I'm not saying it's time to sell all your Auburn stock. I'm not saying they can't rally, but what I am saying is late February, it feels like there's always a couple teams that have been awesome all year that start to run out of steam and this Auburn team feels like that. Really quickly, on Florida, let me just say this on Florida. I think there's a lot of you that want me to apologize about Mike White. Oh, Torres, you crush Mike White all the time. Give him credit. He deserves it. They just beat the number two team in the country. And what I would say is, one, yeah, I give Mike White a ton of credit. I mean, listen, that was a game they needed to win. Um, that was a game they had to win. That was a game that, um, you know, he... He knows what's at stake. We talked about it on the last episode. He could very well lose his job if they don't make the NCAA tournament. Credit to him for having his team ready to go. What I would also say, and I know this because Florida fans tweeted at me and they agree, this game was also kind of a metaphor of the entire Mike White era at Florida. Is that you have these incredible highs where you win a game like that, but then you also have some incredible lows where you lose games like at home to Texas Southern where you lose to Ole Miss a few weeks ago. I mean, if you're Florida and you're trying to get into the NCAA tournament, you can't lose to Ole Miss in the middle of a week in a game that you have to win. And so I go through his, his track record. I go through his resume. And it's not that I don't like him. Like, I think people think that I don't like the guy. But at some point, you have to win the games that you're supposed to. Forget beating the number two team in the country. That's great. You just got to beat Texas Southern. If he beat Texas Southern and he beat Ole Miss, maybe we're not in this position where you got to beat Auburn. 
But now, even with the win, they're 17-10. and 10. They're 7-7 seven and seven in the SEC, and they still got a brutal stretch ahead. They still have to play Kentucky. They still have to play Arkansas later this week. Heck, they got to go to Vanderbilt. I don't think that's even an easy game. And so with Mike White, it's not a criticism of Mike White. It's not that he's a terrible human being. But at some point, that's actually a metaphor. Florida fans agree with me. It's a metaphor for who he is. It's great that you beat the number two team in the country. But if you didn't lose games that you weren't supposed to, you wouldn't have to win games like this. And so we'll see what happens. I still believe if he makes the tournament, he'll probably survive. But what I've been told, and I've said it a few times on this show, uh, the boosters are starting to run out of patience because this is who this guy is. Have incredible highs like Auburn and incredible lows uh, like uh, like Texas Southern, et cetera, et cetera. Quickly, I'll wrap because it is getting to be a long show. A couple other results. Arkansas beats Tennessee. Um, you know, this was just a really sloppy game. The refs weren't great on either side. Uh, Tennessee fans were complaining after the game. Even though Arkansas's best player, JT no- J.D. Note, fouled out, barely played. So what I'm going to do. I kind of have an opinion, a take on Eric Musselman, the head coach at Arkansas. I'm going to save it. I'll put it out on YouTube as a YouTube exclusive. But I think we're now at a point where we have to start talking about, is this guy the most underrated coach in college basketball? For him to come to Arkansas and do what he's done in year two last year, making Elite Eight, uh, they've now won, what, 11 of 12 as I record here. Um, you know, they're, they're tied for third place in the SEC. They're going to get a, a first-round bye, and they're now six out of their last seven against AP Top 10 te- uh, AP top 25 teams. This guy is incredible. Shout-out to Eric Musselman. I will do an extended version of that for YouTube, so make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube page. Uh, only other result that really stood out, you know, Kentucky, awesome win against Alabama without Severe Wheeler, without Ty Ty Washington. Uh, I'd also say this is who Alabama is. They're hot, they're cold, they're, they're this, they're that. I'm out on Alabama. I've been out on Alabama for about three, four weeks. Uh, I'm done with them. I just, I don't trust them. I don't believe in them. They have good moments. They have bad moments. Sometimes they have good moments immediately followed by bad moments. It's who they are. Uh, Arizona, awesome win over Oregon. Oregon played their best game of the season. Arizona found a way to win that game. And so, yeah. And so, yeah, I think that is all for today's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I've talked long enough. But with that said, it's time for me to get out of here, as I just said. That's going to be it for today's episode of the Aerator Sports Podcast. I got a question for you. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music. Make sure that you are subscribed to the Aerator Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. It is time for me to get out of here, but I do want to thank you guys for your support. Show continues to grow. Show continues to be awesome. It is a direct reflection of you guys. So with that said, shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I will be back on Wednesday. New episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.